Ladies and gentlemen, the dog days of summer continue, and so does our slog through Playmakers. <laughs> I, I say slog, and yet I still legitimately look forward to it, Spags, and today we're going to dive into Episode 7. If ever there were a show perhaps you couldn't look forward to, it is the one that bathes entirely in Leon Taylor's domestic violence incident, but we do have McConnell trying to bang ladies. We do have a gay situation that ends very poorly for everybody involved, so uh, with that, I guess no further ado, let's get to the show hello everyone welcome to another edition of splash play the fantasy football podcast for every game under the sun I am Chris Spaggs, joined once again by the man who has his own YouTube channel that you're watching all the time anyway. You can also follow him on Twitter at Peter Overzet. He's Peter Overzet. How are you doing, Pete? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I, I said that I was looking forward to Playmakers so much that I almost watched it last night. I've been having a routine where I watch it on Friday mornings before the show, and I was like, you know what? I kind of want to watch it. I did end up still watching it this morning, but just the fact that I was willing to watch it in prime time shows how much they got me hooked. Yeah, we are now past the halfway point of the show, and we will dig into episode seven talk radio coming up. But we got to do the NFL headlines catch up. And I guess also we got to ask you guys to go follow at Splash Play Pod. That is the Twitter handle and the Instagram handle that we are putting all the content through. So whenever we're doing a show, if the schedule changes around or anything like that, it's always coming through there. So go check that out at Splash Play Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And then also, yeah, make sure to give this video a like and subscribe to both Pete's channel and the Splash Play channel. And if you're catching up with all of our Playmakers content, you can also see a playlist on the Splash Play YouTube channel to dig through and see all the ones we've talked about here uh but pete actually well we have nfl headlines one thing i want i do want to talk about which actually i mentioned first in the deposit kingdom discord so a plug for pete's uh, discord but uh today i'm taking the summer off from osmo which i think is uh people don't know how to handle that like people will get confused when you mention on the show like yeah i'm just not going to do shows for like a month and a half but i'm excited because i feel like this is like kind of halfway being in your world where i'll be doing meetings and stuff and figuring out what i want to do next and and decent chance i end up going back to osmo for the nfl season but I feel like the world of possibilities in front of you, like I feel invigorated by A, just not having a show schedule and B being like, hey, let's figure out what we can do and make it fun. I mean, first of all, congrats. I didn't I didn't know that. Uh, and also, but don't get too excited because then what happens is then everyone knows you're unemployed and they expect you to be cranking out content around the clock at all hours. So everyone, please now, net, uh, you know, bug spags daily with uh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Come on, you're, you're unemployed. You got free time. Get something out there. Yeah, people want that announcement right away. And for me, I, uh, you know, if, if you follow the, the show in particular, we talked about I had a few wins and for, like I have enough money now where I don't have to work the summer and after doing uh, six day weeks for the NBA, for the NFL, for MLB, for the last, you know, however much time, I just kind of need the mental break. And I feel like this is one thing where people always say, oh, like money doesn't buy you happiness and all that. <laughs> I could say the sanity of not working for summer after a pandemic, like probably the best thing money has ever done for me in my life. And it would be a lot better too if I had millions of it instead of the nominal amount that I have to carry me through yeah i'm money buys freedom and freedom buys happiness so there you go yeah. Yes, that is one to keep in mind, but we will be doing splash play and this will be the one place you could see me. So boy, if you need that spags fix, boy, I'm sure the view count's going to be soaring up here on splash play for the summer. Let's talk NFL headlines though. And the big one that we have to hit on here, it is pride month and Carl Nassib or Carl Nassib. I think it's actually what you pronounce it. I feel like it should be Nassib to give it a little more color, but he came out. He's now the league's top Jersey seller. And I think 
kind of a cool, I mean, it is a cool moment, but kind of a fun moment too, because he is a guy that we know and he was on hard knocks and enjoyed kind of his stoic personality talking about compound interest rates and all of that. And <laughs> yeah. I know this, we're, we're definitely a show Pete where we, we, we love everybody out there in the community, very trying to be inclusive for everybody as much as we can. And, and I think NASA coming out, like, I'm sure this is a very meaningful moment for some kids out there. And, and that's me is the main thing that if this inspires somebody else to be who they are, like more power to him. And I, you, know, you just got to give him the kudos. Like, I'm not going to tweet it on social media to be like, Oh, like go crawl. I don't know him. Like, I don't know anything like that, but like, it's a, it's a nice moment. And the guy who's actually been a good player and it may be a journeyman, but a guy who teams want, I think is certainly a good cosign for, uh, for future guys who are going to come out. It is good we have this story, too, on uh, an extremely homophobic episode of Playmakers <laughs> that we're about to talk about. But, yeah, it was it was very cool. And I like I was reading comments like Matthew Berry posted it on his Instagram and stuff. And you read through the comments and, you know, why is this a story or whatever? And then you see all the stuff and it's like, well, it's a story because people still have these insane reactions to it. And it's also a story because. Yeah, for kids, like having someone like him as a role model, that's like, oh, I can be gay and still play professional football. You know, I, that is that we still need those kind of figures out there. And so I think him coming out, uh, in doing that is, is a new story and it is, uh, going to be really good long-term for, for younger kids. So yeah, I thought that was a, a very cool moment. And this is one story I don't tell a lot, but during my barstool days, I wrote some blog about like, cause it was just kind of tedious. I mean, it was honestly just filling the day, but something that struck a chord that particular day of like just comments was being shitty. And at barstool, they would always like anybody they don't like, or, or as a wave of being unpopular, they'll start, you know, with teeing off at that point, the audience, not the coworkers or content creators there would see off and be like, Oh, like this guy's gay, whatever. And I wrote some blog about like, Hey, like, why is this still the joke we go to? Like, why is this the default for us as guys and wrote a blog? And of course, like it ended up being like joked about, uh, Mitz, uh, you know, Dave and all those people you would expect it. But I got emails from kids who were like, you know, one kid I remember particularly was like a closeted, uh, lacrosse player type bro in the new England area. And he had emailed me. It was like, that is very cool of you to have done. Like I've had like a really like an issue, I guess, you know, navigating the world of it. And, you know, and it's something to me like, look, I am not gay. Like I very, I'm supportive of it. I had gay cousins growing up, so I'm certainly always had it being a part of my life. But I think it is important for us as like, as you know, I'm gonna say heteronormative, like the most PC way of saying it. But for us being like just regular guys or whatever, like there are regular guys who are gay guys too. And I think regular guys who are gay kids out there who will see this and it's a really big moment. So it doesn't have to personally affect you, but I do think it's something that I find cool. And, and I hope that, you know, people out there have those inspirations to look forward to. Even if it is a journeyman defensive end, that's probably better than Michael Sam was given how that turned out. Yeah, uh, I think it's a very cool story, and uh, I, I like how he handled it, for sure. So Jameis Winston, uh, another guy here to talk about who does not come out of the closet as far as we know, but um, can we show the workout video, or do, are we going to get yeah, copyrighted let me, for it? let me pull that up here while you set this up. That, that is always a delicate uh, line to walk here after the WWE really, really stuck it to us on that one show for trying to do pro wrestling and NFL crossovers. But Jameis Winston going viral this week for his pocket presence workouts, and I'm going to say for me, I am still very much team Jameis Winston. I don't know the fit with the Saints, but Pete, when I saw this video, it does come off as absurd, obviously, that he's got a guy hitting him with boxing gloves. But it's like, you know, that's what happens when you're in the pocket. Like, I don't know the workouts, the most efficient necessarily that he hopefully won't be holding a ball in the pocket for roughly 15 to 30 seconds in a row. But like, I don't hate the workout. He got a lot of shit for it, I guess, because it's Jameis. Everybody thinks he's dumb still. But 
he's doing his thing. I'm not going to be mad at it. I, I guess the thing that trips me, uh, like the drill, the concept of the drill itself makes a ton of sense to me. It's just the like repeated, like shuffle steps, like that movement. Like normally you'll see a quarterback maybe do that once or twice in the pocket. I'm just like, it looks like a, a video game glitch of like the quarterback just going like this over and over. It just doesn't seem like a realistic movement you would make in the pocket over and over. Well, I think it's like supposed to be his release movement, but he's not actually releasing it. Like he's yeah. not like, so, th so he's like planning as though he could throw, but obviously it wouldn't be the most time efficient thing for him to actually throw. So I think that's what it is. But for me overall, and I don't know where the, you know, you're doing more of the best ball stuff right now and digging in on that. And I, I might play around with it a little more with the time off I'm going to have, but Jameis to me is going to be undervalued based on what I see of him and people thinking he's a joke, the Taysom Hill concerns and all of that. And I think he's going to find a way to be viable in this offense. And I've personally been waiting since that buck season to see Jameis be a fantasy QB one more time. Yeah, I, I think, I think he's a really good pick in best ball drafts. I mean, he's going way, way late on underdog. I mean, you can get him in the second, you know, third to last round and they're pretty easy to stack because Michael Thomas is cheap. He's routinely now going in the third round. Traquan Smith is cheap. Adam Troutman's getting a little expensive. People are starting to get excited about him as the tight end, but yeah, you can, you, if you have like one of the say like top seven or eight quarterbacks in your draft, and then, you know, you just want to grab one more Winston's one. You can just put in your pocket late. I've been doing like him and Zach Wilson, the rookie on the jets are both really cheap. And I just know like, Hey, if I don't get another quarterback, I like, I'm just going to grab one of them super late. Yeah, Traquan Smith, I think, is going to be the big beneficiary. And I think it's an interesting best ball play, though. Uh, definitely a guy probably week to week won't have the most upside. There's definitely going to be some slate-breaking weeks that come out of there. And uh, I'm intrigued by Jameis. So it's something we're going to talk about more as we get closer to the season. We'll dig deeper on the previewing and all of that. But uh, Jameis is a guy to me that people are going to think he's going to joke, uh, that he's a joke. Like, I just that buck season to me, he made Justin Watson a star. He made Brashad Perriman a star. Like, he did a lot of things there that um, I think will benefit really everybody in that ecosystem. And I guess we talked about the Jets. So I'm just going to give one take here that I have on the segment sheet that I know you've been on this guy. And I know some of the guys that we talk to on the shows that you do ship chasing with. I know Pat's been very big on Elijah Moore. I think he's greatly overrated right now. And I'm tired of seeing Elijah Moore hype. Like he's not going to get the routes. Like they didn't get rid of Jamison Crowder. And I think this is one thing that jumps out to me is there are always these rookies that get the buzz and like the numbers look great. I actually went through the PFF numbers just to see where I would land with him too. He's not quite Devonta Smith in terms of like, you know, pure play efficiency and all of that, but uh, clearly one of the better guys around. But when you have Corey Davis, when you have Keelan Cole, when you have, um, you still have Denzel Mims, you still have Jamison Crowder in there. Like where is Moore going to get the targets? And I know you've been beating the drum a little bit, Pete. So this might just be me throwing some cold water on it or trying to, but are you still this bullish on Elijah Moore? Because I feel like the hype is getting to a point that's not going to actually match up with the production. So I do agree. The hype is building. Uh, I would say a few counterpoints is in from what we've heard from the Jets uh, OTAs or whatever their current practices are right now that Crowder is in the slot and he uh, Moore is actually playing outside the Z. So their main starting three right now has been Corey Davis and Elijah Moore on the outside Crowder in the slot. So I think that's good in that, yeah, he's not actually going to be competing with Crowder for snaps. And now it's Keelan Cole and Denzel Mims who have gotten pushed out of three wide receiver sets. And then in general, too, like he's really, really talented. Uh, he dominated market share at Ole Miss in like a massive way. These, you know, big college producers generally uh, are able to break out earlier and good players earn targets. And we see that over time. It might not happen at the start of the season. Uh, I heard Evan Silva talking that it could just be a mess at the beginning with a bunch of wide receiver rotations. But if Elijah Moore is good in the same way, A.J. Brown, one of his, uh, I think they overlapped at Ole Miss for a little bit. 
he was so good that he earned targets by the end of the season. And so to me, Elijah Moore is one of those big upside plays of a guy who could finish the last six or seven weeks of the season as the main wide receiver on the Jets. I guess the thing for me, too, is I think the Jets defense will be improved this year with Salah as the coach. And I think, too, they're going to bring a lot of the philosophy. So this is just one thing to me. And I wouldn't say it's been sticking in my craw because I agree. Like, I think the profile's there. And, um, you know, going to the PFF numbers for him, like Elijah Moore looks like he's going to be as productive as anybody. If you are, you know, to think the college sample size is going to be representative of what he does in the pros. But to me, just these these guys who get overhyped or these guys who get touted a little bit too much because, you know, they look great on the field, but also, you know, the ecosystem might not be there for him. That's the vibes I'm getting from Moore. So to me, he's a guy that I feel a little bit less confident in. If that price tag comes down, I'm willing to get there. But I think your your point about the season being you know a long one and him having the upside, I get it. Especially, I think Zach Wilson is going to be better than I think people initially were thinking for him too. So I just think right now with all the bodies there, like the Silva take seems like the right one. It's going to be a rotation early, and and if this team is good, like they probably are good, not because they're passing it a lot would be the one reservation I have. And one thing I would uh, I uh, to to your point that I would agree with is. We also don't know about Zach Wilson, right? Like there's two what ifs. It's one is Elijah Moore good. Most people think he is. And then is Zach Wilson good and enough to support an offense? So there is like double risk there. Whereas say with Rondell Moore, another rookie I like who's going now almost a round and a half, two rounds cheaper than Elijah Moore. We know Kyler Murray's good. So then the question is, is Rondell Moore good? It's just one variable uh, compared to two with the Jets situation. So, uh, I agree in that I don't think that gap should be as big in their ADPs. And that's also to say, uh, I think Rondell Moore is an insane value right now. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable take to have the other more. DJ Moore is still my favorite more out of all the groups, but but definitely a, a lot of quality mores to get out there. And we'll definitely, you know, we're going to be talking about this more as we get, no pun intended, as we get closer to the season. But uh, I'm going to try to point these things out. And sometimes they're things that I read in uh, Pete's Sakes in the Fantasy Life newsletter too, which again, really just a fine piece of content that comes out three times a week now. Is that the number? Yeah, we're going to be even ratcheting it up more in August as we get closer to the season. But right now, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Yeah, so go check that out. Obviously, uh, Pete doing a great job over there if you're not already subscribed. And then the last thing I wanted on the tight end university. And I, my theory is that this is a cult and it's developing with the tight ends. But 49 tight ends, George Kittle giving media quotes about the importance of tight ends. And I'm going to read this one quote from George Kittle saying, 100% it does. Kittle told ESPN when asked if the way his position is being undervalued bothers him. I think tight end is the most unique and diverse position. It's the most fun position because it's the only one on the field where you get to do everything that a football player does. You run block, you pass protect, you get to run routes and catch the football we do everything and to be clear i like george kittle he as i've mentioned on shows previously he follows me on twitter still because i guess he was a barstool fan from back in the day and just is riding that one now and i love that about george kittle but like <laughs> tight ends i think are more important now than ever because we've seen travis kelsey have these outlier days you saw kyle pitts go big i think if anything tight end is like the next wave of like oh we're gonna start pushing guys towards here or drafting them and trying to get guys who can be those volume players because that's what the league is going towards. So I, I think it's good timing by George Kittle and the PR has been there, but it is like odd that they're like, Oh, like, well, the tight ends who will stand in for the tight ends. Like, I think everybody will right now. I feel like these things, the tight end you is, uh, I'm going to go full on truther and say, this is, um, a, a media concocted event. Just so talking heads have fodder.
fodder to discuss like during color commentary of game, you know, in the same way they would be like, wow, did you know that DJ Moore actually worked out at Larry Fitzgerald's summer camp this year? Like every single tight end who, who was at tight end you, that is going to be brought up on the broadcast. It's going to be like, oh, did you know Ian Thomas actually spent a few nights at tight end you and he shared a bunk bed with Antonio Gates. So I like how that bodes for a season. Yeah, I, 49 tight ends. I thought it was funny though that they were like, yeah, we got all these guys to go. Couldn't give an invite to Tim Tebow because he's a third string tight end and he might not even play, but like all the best to him. But I wonder like who's number 50 that didn't get there because Tebow's probably a little bit below, but like 49 is a lot of tight ends. That's every starter plus a bunch of backups. So like is, is Lee Smith there? is like who's like what was the cutoff point for tight ends i would be very curious to know yeah if you're not getting an invite to uh tight end you then you're probably not going to make it you should probably pack up your bags and try to find a new position yep i would agree the tight ends if they don't respect you then who will i think would be the question i have but but good for the tight ends i guess having their their moment in the sun tight end pride month coming up next month we can hope um (laughs) let's talk about playmakers and uh now is the time to dig in here it is episode seven of playmakers and as i mentioned up top if you haven't watched our previous takes on these shows catch up over on the uh, playlist we have on the splash play youtube channel and of course you can also check them on pete's channel too but uh, we have them conveniently compiled for you guys over on the splash play channel so check them out but pete any overall thoughts here on episode seven talk radio before we get into the the minute by minute notes of of an episode that spent its time really basking in leon and his domestic violence situation yeah i think we've had episodes that were more crazy and insane uh this episode was just like the the most stark reminder of just how awful every single one of these characters is it was just everyone <laughs> at their absolute worst selves uh just feeling absolutely disgusting. You know, it goes from, you know, ironically, you know, enjoying how absurd things are to just being like, God, these are shitty people. <laughs> Tom source in the YouTube chat saying turns on playmaker episode seven. Oh, it's more Leon domestic abuse stuff. Cool. 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 <laughs> like that is, that is also how I feel. It has been our least favorite plot line and it somehow ends up being the one that is the most prevalent throughout the entire show. But hopefully we are nearing a conclusion for it. And let's get into episode seven talk radio where Leon and Olshik are driving to practice with local sports radio on talk about Leon's domestic violence. And the host is happy that he went public about hitting his wife, but also disappointed and Leon and I have to say right away like obviously we're gonna get some hotter takes including from uh, Jay Mariotti who ironically would have his own domestic violence situation not too long after the show uh, but I feel like this is pretty reasonable by talk radio standards like they're like oh like yeah he did a bad thing but he came out like uh, that is not what sports talk radio would actually do so maybe the most unbelievable moment of the show yeah I was gonna say uh I, was it Jim Rome at the top in the first radio kind of hit that played on he the was car? the last guy I think it was just a generic radio guy but I, I might have just missed the voice in the beginning I think it was Jim Rome for both of them uh hmm. at first I thought it was Adam Schefter because then I realized they kind of <laughs> have the same and I was like but there's no way Adam Schefter was doing this however many years ago yeah maybe uh, like in between his Broncos reporting stints that was his first break was doing the talk radio bit on playmakers um real quick specs I'm just gonna refresh my browser because my oh, yeah. internet connection is in StreamYard is driving me crazy right now so you can vamp for a sec I'll be right back all right so the other thing to note here with Leon is that um in this game and we always love trying to keep track of the stats uh Leon 92 yards and two touchdowns last week and they also beat Baltimore so Leon getting the results here and Pete you just missed Leon's stat line 92 yards two touchdowns and this is all something that I'm just going to tie into where they reference it early on or later on in the show when the around the horde segment um they have Max Kellerman saying that he averaged 5.2 yards per carry which I just need to point out mathematically impossible with 92 <laughs> yards so that it bothered me a little bit 
<laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was ridiculous. And sorry, have we gone past the cop scene yet? No, no, we're still yeah, we're still just okay. like the stat line they mentioned in that in the radio segment. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his stats are still uh, otherworldly for sure. Olshik points to Jason Kidd's new contract after his abuse issues, saying that Jason Kidd can't get his reputation back. And the timing is interesting, given that he's now likely going to be the Mavs coach and responsible for Luka Doncic's future. But cops come into the locker room and smugly tell Leon he's under arrest for espousal battery. Victims don't have to come forward for an arrest in this uh, whatever city they're in. And then uh, the cop says, if that was the case, guys like you would have it real easy. And then the other cop, who is also being kind of a dick, then, uh, then says, uh, from what we know, you're a class guy, but you have to come with us. And you know, I don't know enough about the legal process here. There are some people I'm sure who do, but I just feel like the cops wouldn't have been total dicks about it. But, you know, maybe you know there could be a racial component to that, too. It's hard to say. I loved how absurdly over the top uh, that scene was shot with the cops coming in. And like one of the cops voice, I was like, is he trying to be Bane right now? It was trying to be the most menacing voice uh, possible. <laughs> and I, it, it was just so perfect going from, uh, he was like, oh yeah, I'll just be Jason Kidd. You know, uh, no one will ever remember it again. And then to literally seconds later being arrested in the locker room. Yeah, it is not an easy one for Leon. ESPN and other camera crews are waiting outside the police station for Leon. The bad plot line is officially a mess, and Leon's wife, Robin, is at the police station telling everyone she doesn't want to press charges. Um, I, I have here, incompetent police, question mark? Well, I never, and I feel like overall, <laughs> if the wife is there actively saying, like, hey, I don't want to press charges, I feel like they wouldn't press charges, and we'll find out later in the episode that won't be the case, but, you know, Robin, I guess now on the side here of, of Leon fully, and it, it's just awkward, because of all the, the push-pull we've had previously. And I guess him admitting to it was all she needed to be back a uh, fully ride-or-die for Team Leon. Yeah, uh, it's just, I, I say it every week. I'm just so over this storyline. And uh, as Tom was saying, it's just insane that we're now back to featuring it again in a massively big way. And then we also, uh, Tom also saying, the old chick saying, yo, Leon, he might extend you as if Leon wants to sit behind DH forever. <laughs> I think Leon just wants to get paid and have a chance to play. But yeah, poor Leon not even playing in this game that we're going to have here. So uh, yeah, Leon in a tough spot. We then go on to uh, another guy in a tough spot, coach, back peeing blood, and also listening to Dan Patrick talk about Leon's domestic violence situations. The new offensive coordinator is worried about coach pissing blood, got him a doctor referral. And then um, I guess the... I wasn't sure if this one, Pete, maybe you got it better than I did. Was this a flashback to a previous medical thing? Because he then asked to see like the offensive coordinator specialist later on, but we're getting the flashback to another doctor who's being kind of sassy, recounting the coach's issues, calls him a schmuck for not coming sooner. And I didn't get like, is this a thing that happened? Is it something he's imagining? I, I found it confusing in a way that this show always is and, and doesn't need to be like, it can just be simple and they just never make it simple. Right. The, the familiarity with which that doctor talked to him, like you don't call your patient a schmuck unless you have a long history with that but again we've you never hope. seen any of these this back history between the coach and this doctor or him it's like we need at least one other scene of him in ignoring his doctor's wishes for then his doctor to be able to do that so it's it's just classic playmaker storytelling and Leon's out on bail, but the DA is questioning Olshik and also the other guy who had PEDs that we haven't seen until this episode, but now he's back in the mix. And then Dion, uh, DH talks some shit about Leon's mugshot in the paper saying the kids must be real proud. And this is an episode where DH, the entire season, I've been waiting for him to have his redemption arc where he becomes an adult and he realizes, like, oh, I need to be a guy. And I feel like this episode, Pete, was him going like full pro wrestling heel where he, he did a detox that could have been a turnaround point for the character. And no, he's arguably even more of an asshole than ever before. Yeah, he's 
absolutely out of control. He has uh, a ton of, I mean, the, the asshole of the episode is going to, it's going to be hotly contested today, Specs. It's going to be the child for being rude and refusing <laughs> those tickets. <laughs> also, I mean, uh, the kid the kid wearing a do-rag, like, that, that was just such an incredible touch. <laughs> I mean, look, he's he's got, he's got some sort of terminal illness. I wore a do-rag when I was younger, too. I didn't need it, but I wore I wore it mostly during football because, you know, if you keep, protect your head from the helmet, I don't know. I, I, I had a logic to wearing one, but, you know, look, as a, a supporter of uh, incorrect ethnic identities and wearing do-rags, I'll, I'll be with the kid on that one, but we'll get to him in a second. Coach is drawing up plays. One includes Leon being targeted on a pass play, and then my question is, is, is he now the third down pack? And then also, I guess, he wasn't suspended suspended initially for the domestic violence claims. And I guess the NFL didn't spend him in this one either, which is kind of classic early 2000s NFL. So I feel like out of all the things, it's pretty believable the NFL wouldn't suspend this guy because they didn't learn to start doing that until after the Ray Rice thing. Yeah, I also love how, didn't the coach say that their opponent for this week is first in the league against the pass? And I then, so, so and then it's like, okay, well, that's perfect because you guys want to run the ball 50 times a game. And so, <laughs> but that all the montages were them scheming up pass plays. They're finally like trying to draw up plays for Gerwich. It's like, you're going to wait to introduce a wide receiver focus game plan until you're playing the team that's number one in the league against the pass. Now's the time to run the ball 50 times like you've been doing all season. I mean, the coach has prostate issues, so I guess we got to cut him <laughs> some slack. But I would agree the game plan here sometimes doesn't make the most sense, and neither does McConnell, who is making $50 bets that he can hit a behind-the-back pass to Leon on the wheel route that he was doing. And McConnell, in this situation, throwing a behind-the-back pass, I'll say he threw his actual best pass of the year that we've actually seen on the show. And to me, this is like the, the things this week that have gone on in the media, people talking about how Ben Simmons from the Sixers needs to change his shooting hand. McConnell just might need to be a full-time behind-the-back thrower because he's clearly not good in normal normal traditional QB throwing styles. Yeah, I mean McConnell, uh another just incredible McConnell episode here. Uh I I don't even know what to say about McConnell anymore. Uh the fact that he can both be just incredibly uh bigoted and homophobic, but also incredibly witty at the same time at, at all times. He is, he's charming too, and we will see more of McConnell as he begins his courtship of the owner's daughter coming up a little bit. Uh, but Big Sexy and the other PED lineman, I guess is actually where we're going to talk about it. Big Sexy and the other PED suspended lineman are talking loudly about a hot woman. McConnell chimes in that he can nail her. Turns out she's the owner's daughter, and uh, this begins their courtship. And and Pete, how did you think this was going to go initially? Because I feel like you could maybe see it as her being like, oh, like I'm going to blow this guy off, or it could be the rom-com thing that he wins her over over time. And I feel like the she ends up banging him by the end of the episode outcome was probably low on the odds board, if I had to guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess from the when they set it up, I thought it could go either way because it could be, okay, this is McConnell's heat check moment. You know, he gets whatever he wants. But, but then once they kept doing it, once... Once Will Banks in the locker room later told McConnell about his daughter, like what owner is telling the star quarterback that's the biggest uh, horn dog that his daughter is recently single and uh, looking for a distraction? I mean, that it was the writing was on the wall there. Yeah, that was one thing, too, which it does come up later in the episode. But I was curious, too, like, did he want McConnell to bang his daughter? Like, was that the thing? Because he clearly <laughs> loves the athletes. And he, I think he also probably has a, a fondness for a white athlete based on his other semi-prejudiced views that he has. Like, did, did he want that to happen to help her heal? Because I kind of got the vibe that he was, like, mentioning that deliberately knowing McConnell is a horn dog because he knows everything about these guys. 
Yeah, that was the implication. And I mean, Will Banks is a pragmatist, right? Like every his the way he handles every situation is like make it go away, throw money at it, do whatever you can. So he's like looking at this problem of, oh, my daughter is depressed and skipping school. What's the way uh, I can do it? Like have her bang the quarterback. And even though he didn't explicitly say that, I mean, that's the implication. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're not just gossiping. Will Banks doesn't have time to like gossip about his daughter to the quarterback. Like he had an angle here and presumably it was playing matchmaker. Yeah, I, I also find it. Well, I guess we could talk more about this later, but I find it hard to believe an Ivy League girl, a that she'd be reading a scarlet letter and be like so won over by uh, McConnell's cliff notes take on it. But B, like, I just don't think that she would be into the situation overall. Like if she's an Ivy League girl, like if you're telling me, oh, she's going to Northwestern or she's going to University <laughs> of Miami or something, I feel like then you're like, yeah, cool. Like she's she likes to party, but she seemed like a bookish girl who's going through a tough breakout with her nerdy boyfriend who I guess is banging his RA. And I just didn't buy that she would like, I think her initial rebuffing of McConnell was the move, but then she was like chastising herself too and calling herself a loser for not going along with it. So I, I didn't think it was congruent. Also, isn't Scarlet Letter more of a middle school or high school yes, book? Very you much. read, yeah. I was like, can't we get some like Dostoevsky or something a little more believable for you know an Ivy League you know literature course? I, I that was immediately uh, not doing it for me. I love that we're we're talking about the football show and it's like, let's really critique the literary <laughs> choices that they had of, of this daughter. But yeah, look, we Pete and I, both men of the world here, and we both know the Scarlet Letter is not going down at whatever Ivy League school, even if it's Cornell, they're not doing that there. Uh, big sexy in the PED lineman, we talked about that. Will Banks is mad at Leon for being in the news after DH's club incident. If the DA files charges, the owner's going to suspend them, and we will see later in the show that Will Banks, a man of his word, and then Leon says the Lakers didn't do this to Kobe, and they charged him with rape, and, and Leon Leon really unlikable <laughs> once again throughout this episode where he just wants everything to go his way and and all the flashbacks of his temper too like uh dh clearly the biggest or maybe not even clearly but uh generally going to be a gigantic asshole but leon for any defense case i might have built for him over the last few episodes he really eroded it throughout the course of this one also there was an incredible line uh from will banks in there when he was in his office and he goes the way they talk they think we have a team of criminals it was like Will Banks, you literally do have a team of criminals. Like they're regularly breaking the law, like every single episode. That's exactly what you have. You're criminals, and as Tom points out, people who lie for the criminals on the team too. And uh, yeah, every and everybody's on the same page too with the Ivy League. Uh, probably not giving you a book report on the Scarlet Letter too. So we look. There are a lot of things here that are issues, but um, overall, that's that's what we love the, about the show is that it's completely fucking illogical <laughs> and stupid. Uh, the team Gopher guy, who I feel like might have heard his name before, but they do call him Phil a little bit more in this one. So maybe some writer's notes they got. He wants DH to do charity work for the sick kids. DH is being a dick about it per usual. All players have to do charity work and DH has done zero. So next scene, DH immediately acquiesces, meets a kid who's a huge fan and knows all of his games as well as the stomach flu, quote unquote, that he had last game. And the nurse brings the kid pain pills and DH eyes him up like McConnell eyed up the owner's daughter and uh, things are going poorly here for DH. And he had to know the way this is going immediately, Pete, but I, I feel like DH new levels of scumbag baggery here in the name of addiction but like he's taking a pill where you can't feel drugs it just feels like he should maybe be a better human so this this uh when he was talking to phil in the locker room was legit the funniest line of the entire series i legitimately laughed out loud phil goes yeah so you need to do your um whatever your charity work it's called the charity's called guiding hope and dh goes hope no one is looking to me for guidance <laughs> 
I mean, he's right, honestly. Like, nobody should. He has lived a very poor life. It was so good. And then also the close-up when he's in the hospital and, you know, he's putting together that there's these meds that he would be able to steal. And his eyes just, like, light up. Like, immediately he was like, I knew I came here for a reason, and it was to steal, you know, pain medications from this poor sick boy. Did you notice the kid's room, by the way? Because it's more prominent later on when the kid blows off DH. But that kid had the best like hospital room that's ever lived. He has a ping pong table in there. He's got like multiple spaces for things. Like I, I, I don't. Granted, you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't done my charity work either. And uh, granted, there probably aren't a lot of terminally ill kids who are like, let me meet the guy who fat shamed Rihanna. I go, maybe they are. <laughs> I, I hope so. But I do think that um, that room seemed like very swank for this kid, even though you know he's having a tough time. So he deserves it. But just, there's no way that room would be that big in real life. Yeah. And as we learned later in the episode, just a very perceptive kid, uh, you know, picking up on everything that's going on there. DH tries to pull a fast one over, but he's not going to be having it in his uh, his castle there. But before we get to uh, DH's return visits, the players are having another big party slash half orgy at the same time, including a girl who shows McConnell her boobs for an autograph for her boyfriend, which uh, does mean that McConnell's willing to autograph uh, ever, ever a man of the people that McConnell and Gerwitz are our wide receiver who we've met a few episodes ago, who's dealing with his uh, closeted homosexuality situation, does not have the courage of Carl Nassib to come out. He's with the model girl from the previous episode and McConnell's hyping him up. But then Gerwitz's boyfriend is there and Gerwitz has to reassure him, even though he just got dump the gay boyfriend being kind of a downer though he is right about how the players would be shitting him if they knew he was gay and and things go get worse from here pete but what was your first inkling here about the gay boyfriend being there and i feel like he wouldn't have showed up like the guy's clearly a bit of a, a loose cannon in this situation but i think if he's mad at him and just broke up with the guy like there wouldn't have been a way he just happened to be at the same bar so he must have gone deliberately and that's an aggressive and dramatic move it's aggressive and dramatic. I also, I want to say this was a new club because there was a lot of foliage uh, within the club. And I was like, okay, I think we're at a new location now, which is nice to know that they mixed it up. And uh, yeah, so when they first, the first shot of Gerwich's boyfriend was hilarious with him like staring down and he had he looked like chris Catan in night at the roxbury <laughs> basically the hair, um, the hair is spot on yeah it was just it was really good and yeah absolutely psychotic um i mean clearly you know that you're dating a closeted football player uh there's a reason he's closeted because he's fearing how his teammates are going to think and so you're going to come and try to blow like clearly they need to have some conversations but maybe conversations behind closed doors and not at the club, uh, it just seems like there's better ways to handle this situation. So then Gerwitz's boyfriend sends the uh, PED suspended offensive lineman a drink to show how his team, uh, to be clear, I don't know if he was just being a troll or if he was trying to show like how they would handle a gay situation. And then naturally the, uh, the lineman guy gets aggressive, uh, especially when the ex-boyfriend touches him. And then um, he's like, don't send me a drink though. You know, to the, the lineman guy's credit, he didn't get super violent or anything. And then um, I have to say though, like the boyfriend doing this, even if it were a heterosexual situation, like this would just be poor form regardless. And this boyfriend is just a problem waiting to happen. Yeah, as Tom says here, like, what are you even trying to accomplish with that? I think because the, what he's trying to prove is that his teammates aren't uh, supportive of his lifestyle decisions. Like, no shit. That's why he's closeted. So, like, the point has already been made. Now you just want to get in a bar fight? I mean, this guy just went full, like, destructive mode. 
And then Gurwitz's boyfriend uh, is uh, still flirting with him. And then Gurwitz himself steps up, punches the ex-boyfriend out and says a line that would not be on the show. Since when did he start letting F-bombs in here? And um, I have to say, Gurwitz did not handle that situation with class either, but uh, probably got himself some brownie points. But I guess his teammates, I don't know if they were like into it or horrified that he would react so violently to that situation. But I, I feel like they they took care of business relative to whatever they thought business was. Yeah, it is a little unfortunate that the team would be, you know, celebrating, uh, saying the F word in this hit and then just sucker punching uh, someone for buying and hitting uh, on you for a drink. Like It's uh, it's pretty wild. Do we think it would have been as bad of a reaction if it were like a manly beer instead of a cosmopolitan that he sent him? Because he clearly sent a very girly pink drink, too. So like maybe if he sends them like a shot of whiskey, they're like, oh, this gay guy's the we I don't want that. But he's a real man's man. <laughs> It's so fun. I, I just, I, I don't know the stand up comic, but I just, my buddies just sent this clip and he was doing this bit about this exact scenario where it's like, why do guys always think um, that if they get hit on or like at a gay bar or something that that, um, that you don't actually have to have sex with the person? He's like, if an old grandma came and like pinch my cheeks and say, you're so hot. You wouldn't like deck her and be like, get away from me because you don't want to have sex with her. It's like, why is this the reaction that you have to punch someone because your masculinity has been brought into question? Well, speak for yourself, Pete. I know <laughs> I've got hit up by an old grandma. I'm taking them out right away. Uh, that's how you assert your dominance. No, you're going home way. with her spags. I know you. <laughs> I know, you know, honestly, I have to say, you know, we, we can go back to the episode. I'm not a big older woman guy. Never been my thing. Even even MILF porn, really not my my genre overall. So, no, I, I would tend to tear on the other side. I, I like them if they can preferably be college aged or okay, at least. All right. Let's this is uh, it's a good thing that you made the decision to be self-employed this summer. Otherwise, someone's going to make the decision for you. Me and McConnell, we we have a certain type. Coach is walking or uh, watching early around the horn in a cross promotion uh, situation here because this is actually when around the horn first came out. So for around the horn, this actually might have been a big break for them. And Jay Mariotti wants to sell on Leon Taylor in a buy or sell argument. Max Kellerman points out they had a 5.2 yards per pop, which, as I mentioned, mathematically impossible the 92 yards he had last week. And then also pointing out Jay Mariotti pleaded no contest to domestic violence in uh, 2010. So um, just you know, irony upon irony in this one, but. I guess classic around the horn. I'll always have a soft spot for it. Like, I feel like that was one of the first shows as a teenager I was watching. I was like, yeah, like I like this talking head thing before ESPN completely ruined it. Yeah. Uh, I also like how Mary, uh, who is it? Mary Jay Mariotti. Jay Mariotti. Yeah. was uh, making fun of Leon for being a washed up uh, running back who wasn't actually contributing to the team. And I mean, that's the kind of take we finally need is this team is way over prioritizing running backs. They want to keep two of them. They want to extend both of these guys. They won't take a first round pick. And finally, someone in the media is calling them out for this poor decision making. It's true. And uh, yeah, they finally are being held to the fire for their terrible team running or really just general approach to team management. And yeah, Lou pointing out in the chat around the horn is one of my favorite afternoon shows around the horn and PTI. Like when they first came out, that was like a dynamic duo. I'm not one of those people who keeps up with PTI now, but to me, that was like the halcyon days of ESPN where like the all sports center all day. And it was that it was still funny and not like too annoying. And then they had those shows. I mean, I, I have a very soft spot in my heart for those old ESPN schedules. Yeah, I, I do too. Yeah, those that double header of uh, around the horn and pardon the interruption was uh, that was that was appointment viewing for uh, for me in high school when I as a as a super sports obsessed kid. 
We could, we should consider doing now that now that I have free time, Pete. We could do a, a parody PTI show where we just yell at each other about things. I feel like that's actually part of my take started, but but still, we could actually do it the whole way and just make insane points. It's a thought. It's a, a germ of a thought, not a full one. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're not going to make it past this episode after uh, you uh, <laughs> of your last rant. So it was it's a great idea. Oh, though. I'm sorry, I don't like grandmas. Jesus. <laughs> Let's talk about the rest of the episode. Leon is asking his teammate. Actually, no, Coach learns that Gerwitz is in the paper for punching his boyfriend at the bar. Coach is not happy with all the team's shenanigans because only football matters, not even God or family. And I did think it was funny that he's like, yeah, you know, the club things, those don't matter. Clubs and bar fights and women and, and also God and family don't matter. Like, yeah, I think that the club fights and the the detox and the drug addictions, like, yeah, football should come ahead of those. But I do feel like if you're a religious guy or you have a family, those are probably a little bit above football general, even in season, I would say. Yeah. Uh, also, there was a um, a funny scene when Will Banks was at practice and Leon had like a nice run. And again, it's complete non-contact drill, nothing happening. And Will Banks just over on the side clapping, just watching this one drill where no one's even trying. Uh, I just love the owner being down there that involved in these uh, these practice drills. And Will Banks, yeah, happy to watch the drills, happy to also tell Gerwitz that he needs to make his situation go away. Um, and Gerwitz, I guess Will Banks actually says that Gerwitz is a God-fearing man and says something about hating gay people in the midst. And um, I don't know if this is another thing, too, with Will Banks, because he is this omniscient guy. I don't know if he knows that Gerwitz is gay or not. And if that was like some weird subtext of like, yeah, get the queen, like whatever, get rid of that. Like, I, I think he must know because he seems like he knows everything, but I wasn't clear enough to me. And again, like, I think that could be clear. Like there's no reason that it would be ambiguous, but the show just does that with everything. Yeah. I love how earlier he was worried about, you know, the media portraying his team uh, as a bunch of criminals. And then he's literally saying, uh, pay someone off to not talk <laughs> about this. Like, I mean, this guy is, uh, he's a piece of work. He is, uh, some, I would say, a hypocrite, even that <laughs> Will Banks is. Uh, Leon asking his teammates uh, and the coach about what they told the DA. Big Sexy said that the DA asked if he had a temper. Coach says he never told anything about how Leon pushed him up against the wall. And we're, as we're seeing these flashbacks of Leon, Leon is kind of a menace. I just feel like I need to say it one more time. Like He's really been aggro in every situation, and he wasn't even taking steroids that long, so it's not like it's ro like a roid rage thing either. He's just uh, maybe not a great dude, and maybe somebody I shouldn't have defended as much in the early parts of the season. <laughs> Yeah, although it's funny because I was just going to somewhat defend him with the Olshik. Like that line about saying, yeah, she slept over. I'm just yeah. like, there's so many ways to word that differently to where I don't think the implication is that she came over for a hookup, which is clearly how Leon took it. Yeah, Leon has made some mistakes along the way, but definitely when you see them all put together, him pushing people <laughs> up against walls him punching people in the face, doesn't look the best. Uh, the owner's daughter is no selling McConnell's advances because again, she's an Ivy League girl is reading the Scarlet Letter. She doesn't want to hang with the team after hours, but then does seemingly call herself a loser for buffing his advances. Um, unclear if it was her as a loser or he's a loser, but we know that'll work out at the end. DH back visiting the kid in the hospital, but it's likely more for DH being curious about his pills. DH takes some time to hit on the nurse and ask for her number because he will have sex with anyone at any, any given time. And he steals the morphine pills for the kid because he is a bad person. And then the kid wants pain pills because DH stole his. Though, honestly, though, like if the kid, like it's like turning out like a meal. Like he's like, oh, I don't want to eat. If DH eats the meal, like that's not his fault. You didn't want to eat it in the first place. But either way, this kid clearly has some pains. <laughs> 
I just also it, it, DH kills me every episode. This the line. So the girl Betty, right? She's in scrubs. That's what mm-hmm. nurses wear. And he says to her, "Nurse Betty, looking fine today." <laughs> it's like normally you say that when like. Uh, a lady's like dressed up or you know for a cane like oh you're looking really good today or whatever it's like she's in her just completely drab you know work clothes that are necessitated by her job (laughs) you're looking fine today i just absolutely love him trying to make a move on the nurse there are a lot of people who like the nurse attire like i know again not not to give too much away i know going through reddit sometimes you'll see those ones like i think there's actually like a nurse this is clear it's not like my passion project but there's like a nurse has gone wild subreddit like people like the scrubs (laughs) thing so maybe dh just you know revealing a little bit of his of his reddit browsing history i I think you've said enough the fact that you know there's a nurse who's got wild subreddit uh tells the whole story look it's important that we we were clapping for them the beginning of the pandemic now we're not giving them upvotes on reddit i feel like that's incongruent behavior i just hope you could find a a sub subreddit of that that filters out the older nurses and they're nice (laughs) (laughs) no granny nurses gone wild (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's either way, DH visiting the child uh, and ends up taking the pills. But we'll save that for a second. Leon goes to talk to the DA because he feels she should ask him to get to know him rather than others. He admits that his on-field aggressiveness bleeds over into his real life, but he's working on it. Leon comes off as kind of manipulative, but the DA also ends up being the more manipulative one. And Leon gives his therapist info. And the lawyer is very mad that he gave permission to talk to the therapist. The other question I had is, when did Leon start seeing a therapist? Because I feel like that was the whole fight with Robin. Is that he yeah, she didn't want to go to therapy. Yes, I guess he has one now is is the thing and and one that's somehow going to know incriminating things. But the lawyer, I have to say the lawyer was right the whole time. The lawyer clearly had like the evil lawyer look, uh, probably one of Will Banks' henchmen or something like that. But I do feel like the lawyer was dead on. You probably shouldn't be giving free information away to a system that clearly was set up trying to fuck him. Yeah, it is funny. All of these relationships with women that Leon has in his life, you know, his wife, Robin, the reporter, the DA, his therapist, just all these women who are massively disappointed in him at all times. That is the Leon, the Leon trope, it seems like. But I thought he won her over like it did seem like he won her over and I could see how Leon would think he would. But we learned by the end episode that's not the case. Gerwitz goes to go see his ex to make sure he's not going to go to the cops or going to out him. The ex-boyfriend says he's not worth the time. And and Gerwitz, uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts about this one, but the ex-boyfriend, I feel like clearly he was worth the time because he went to the bar and made trouble in this whole situation. But uh, I just feel like the Gerwitz and the ex-boyfriend, a toxic situation. It's probably better for both of them to not be involved. Yeah, I uh, I think they need to uh, to separate. I don't think they're good for each other. I don't think Gerwitz is ready for uh, a relationship like this. He probably should just stick to kind of like grinder and more low-key uh, hookups. And, uh, I don't think he's ready for kind of a prime time relationship at this point in his life. Yeah. I think he does make that clear with his actions. So, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to go that way, show the love to this man. And instead, uh, and his, and his Chris Catan hair, love, love that Chris Catan hair as much as you can. Will Banks talks to McConnell about how he's willing to talk to his daughter. Yeah. So this is the part we already talked about, but Will Banks basically sets up McConnell to try to bang her. DH goes to see the kid again. And the kid is giving him the cold shoulder, even though DH is supposedly getting him tickets to the game. that's going to be right next to the cheerleaders. The kid is fucking sharp. and thinks DH took his medicine and he's basically not into him anymore, which is still a steep turn from his previous fandom but i feel like gotta give the kid credit on a show full of idiots this kid is the one non-idiot i yeah i love how you know he wasn't at it was a rhetorical question the kid knew he took his meds he just wanted to give dh a chance to tell the truth and then when he didn't he goes 
I think it's time for you to leave. I mean, just a completely mature line. Also, real quick, a really funny line from uh, the scene in the locker room with Will Banks and McConnell. Uh, McConnell's getting like some kind of treatment on his arm or whatever. And they go, uh, Will Banks wants to speak with you. And he goes, now's not a good time. And I just want to point out, this is the guy who at halftime of a football game went and met a girl from the stands, <laughs> but doesn't have time to talk to the owner while he's getting treatment in the locker room. Oh, wait, no, that was the daughter. It was the daughter who wanted to talk to him. The daughter, sorry. That's why That's yeah. why I made the uh, the connection because I was like, he'll go and talk to a random woman at halftime, but not to this girl in this situation. Well, I guess we could jump ahead. So I think the point of that one was that they banged and he now had no use for her, which is probably <laughs> going to cost him something. But we do end up having uh, the situation with McConnell where he talks, he gets the cliff notes from, from Phil, the gopher guy, the slash cuck boy who we've talked about previously, um, who Phil thinks... I don't know. Why did Phil think that he was giving him cliff notes in the first place? Cause he's like surprised to learn that it was to win over this girl. But, um, I got to say McConnell, it's probably a little too close to the pickup artist thing that was going on at the time where you basically would just lie to women and do shenanigans to get them to sleep with you. But like McConnell's approach here for a guy who's a, clearly a dumbass and a bit of a meathead, like getting the cliff notes to a book and then coming in with a nuance like, oh, like this shouldn't have been this way. Like, I don't even remember what his take was about the Scarlet Letter, but it felt like it was a progressive one. Like he clearly knew the angle to play and McConnell, like he can get whatever he wants by being a QB, but you got to get him, give him credit for the resourcefulness he has using cliff notes to talk about a book with a again with a college girl but but still like you know it's an impressive move by a guy who seems like a lunkhead in every other possible way yeah and also for so you know we call him cuck boy phil i mean going to get a spark notes thing to help mcconnell facilitate a pickup isn't helping to dismantle that nickname so he is continuing to be cuck boy here also yeah, like I've I've read a few Spark Notes uh, back in the day. I believe Pink Monkey was the other site uh, that was popular for uh, summaries of books. They they they'll give you the themes and you know they'll give you the plot points, but they aren't making like contrarian deep readings of the text in the way McConnell was delivering it. So he had to have done some extra research on his own, you know, plagiarized some essay he found online. Because I'm telling you that that kind of take isn't in Spark Notes. Yeah, I I would agree. That's a that's a good point. I I don't remember Pink Monkey. I do remember Spark Notes, and then before Spark Notes is like the actual book version, which were like Cliff Notes, where the phrase comes from. But yeah, like uh, Pink Monkey completely escapes my mind. And that sounds like that doesn't sound like book notes at all. I don't know. Yeah, I might there. be misremembering it, but I'm pretty sure it was Pink Monkey. Uh, all right. I like I like the name. It's creative. Doesn't really tell me what they're doing, but it does sound like a fun, fun brand to have. Uh, Coach might have actually, I guess, with, with uh, the, the owner's daughter real fast. There is another sensual sex scene. And then Will Banks wants to see McConnell. And then Phil asks if that's why McConnell asked for the cliff notes for the book. McConnell lies for some reason. Uh, <laughs> do we think that she's going to be pregnant? Like that doesn't seem like it'd be possible the next day. But is that how this is going to go? Because it does feel like that would be something like, oh, she went to the locker room. And again, timeline wouldn't make any sense, Bill, both medically or for a show. But based on how Playmakers does things, I feel like she's going to be pregnant. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess I wasn't even uh, think, but that that has to happen. That absolutely yeah. has to happen. And in hindsight, now you are absolutely correct. And, and maybe a smushmortion related situation too, because we haven't had that on a show about NFL players. So uh, I think something to watch out for. And this is not me going off memory and not me. I haven't looked ahead, but I, I feel like this could be where it's going. So we'll see. Um, Will Banks is happy that Gerwitz's problem went away. Gerwitz quote unquote jokes that he had to blow him. And <laughs> Will Banks is like, oh, well, I guess you got to do what you got to do but i thought that was a fun little thumbing his nose at will banks while still clearly going with the heterosexual uh, narrative that will banks wanted so desperately
Yeah, uh, <laughs> incredible uh, turn there for from Gerwitz there, and you know, really winning over Will Banks. It's that was touching. And a coach might have prostate cancer. Now he wants to see the specialist. But uh, again, unclear if this is like another doctor visit he had or a flashback, but he's willing to talk to the specialist. So good for coach and his bloody urine. Um, and then we also have uh, Gerwitz calling them, calling somebody ambiguous uh, but it, and telling that he wants them to be there at the player's lounge and that he loves them. It turns out it's the model girl from the other episode who he's seen now a couple times. Feels like the I love you was a little aggressive, even though he is going like, I'm going to date you, whatever. Like, I don't th they haven't hung out enough to get an I love you. I get that he's clearly covering some things. But if I were her, I'd be like, uh, dude, like, uh, thank you. Like, I love dating a football player, but I, I love you feels a little hasty. It also her reaction. He was basically he, he goes, you know how uh, when I told you uh, that I was with someone uh well, I was lying I, or I wasn't with someone. I actually was, but now I'm not. And then she immediately starts making out with him. Like, don't you think that would maybe be like, oh, our relationship started with you lying about being with another person at the same time. It just seems like maybe she wouldn't have been in such an, uh, you know, a lovely mood after hearing that. Yeah, I would agree, but she doesn't seem to have the highest standards for herself. So how are we going to fault Gerwitz for making it work? I guess Will Banks tells Leon the DA has formally decided to charge him with felony spousal battery. So Will Banks says even though the DA is a bitch, Leon is suspended and DH will reclaim his starting job. And DH does so with all the smugness one would expect. The episode ends with Leon now wanting to talk to his lawyer about the timeline for their defense case, as well as as some actually as some talk radio guy lists off all the athletes who've been accused of domestic violence or sex assault and it ends with leon taylor a good guy who did a bad thing and uh i don't know that we can call him a good guy based on what we've seen throughout the course of this episode but uh pete it does seem like we are reaching i wouldn't say reaching a conclusion because i guess we're gonna have a court date so is this gonna go on through the end of the season to be the real question i have yeah it feels like it is it they're they're clearly enamored with this storyline i also loved um dh in the locker room when they, they finds out about the leon suspension he's like literally licking his chops and it's like dude you're already getting 25 carries a game like he's on the bench in just a very part-time role but he just hates him so much that he's excited for him to get suspended and then they tell him to shut up and he does the like sarcastic like <laughs> zipping his lips i mean dh is just such an asshole it's incredible he really went like full pro wrestling heel in this episode in a way that i feel like you have to admire but to me it does hurt like i want like he's so likable and his smile so nice and he seems like such a good guy that you just want him to like turn the page and get there and i guess he will just be the the villain for the last but like i feel like throughout the show like he has not been a villain and in this episode he really was straight villainous throughout you i mean the kid was when he took his meds uh and it's again tough. it was he was like he was like <laughs> kind of like writhing around in the bed and paid at dh is like who cares man i got mine yeah, you gotta you gotta get him more pills. Like he probably would have taken those two. <laughs> that might as well like pinch her ass as she's walking out to go get more pills. I mean, just go. well in those scrubs. How could you not? <laughs> Let's give out the awards here. Who has the most fantasy upside? Um, I guess relative to what we've seen performance wise, it would have been Leon, but he's not playing now. So I guess we got to go back to DH. But I, I guess also considering the fact that they're going to be passing against the team who defends the passing so well, maybe it's because. I don't know, Pete. Who would it be? You know what? I want to just go contrarian because they legit drew up a play for Gerwich. Uh, so I'm going to say Gerwich. Uh, he catches one of these underneath crossers. We know he just has absolute jets. I'm assuming like 4-3 speed and just takes it to the house. 
Yeah, I I hope so. I hope that that's like he's not the the scrappy white wide receiver. He is in fact just a complete burner. He's he's a young Tyree Kill, is what uh, Gerwitz says. Most unrealistic moment of the episode. I think the DA pressing full speed ahead with charges to me just seems like that wouldn't have been the case as well as her outright lying to him. And I know like we're supposed to, you know, be down in the legal process a little bit here, but I just don't think that would happen. And maybe there are others here. I, the nurse also being a complete idiot and not thinking like, Oh, DH took the pills. Instead, she's like, I guess I forgot to bring pills. Or, like, I don't know. That was probably unrealistic too. Yeah. Uh, I would say the most unrealistic is the Ivy league scarlet letter book report assignment. <laughs> That is true. Yeah, they were like before that it was green eggs and ham. Now they got up to the <laughs> scarlet letter at her Ivy League school. <laughs> this is a good point too. Real, how about here for a little uh, fun segment? What do you think Gerwitz's current NFL player comp would be? Okay, so they they have said uh, Tom saying they did call him the focal point of the offense. His trickery was very important last episode to what the team was trying to do. So I think his comp would be like a Julian Edelman type. And I I guess I hate doing the same race ones. I would no, like to go. Like, I mean, you basically have to. Yeah, I was going to say Cole Beasley. Uh, uh, I feel like he and Gerwich could be equally controversial these days. I mean, well, I guess Gerwitz doesn't mind getting an injection. <laughs> Cole Beasley perhaps does uh, I can't you you really did get yourself canceled this episode <laughs> the moment that made the nfl the most mad i think would be i, I guess it has to be gerwitz saying that when they let the f-bombs in here might be the thing but uh, that even might not i uh, dh stealing pills from a child feels like one that would be pretty tough there, there's a lot there's a fertile ground here for this award yeah, I mean, the, the multiple homophobic slurs uh, this episode feel like a good candidate. Um, the NFL happiest scene is a tough one. Pete, what comes to mind for you? Uh, to me, it was like there was a real like big football guy montage. There was a couple of them, even at the end of the episode when he's, you know, saying like, I know you guys are all angry at each other. You got so much shit going on in your life, but just take it out on the field. And then all shit gets like really amped up about that. Uh, I, I think the NFL would like that moment. Or maybe McConnell's uh, behind the back pass too. I feel like they'd be like, <laughs> oh, like it's like Patrick Mahomes. So fun here. This is just the boys having a good time. <laughs> Asshole of the episode. So DH is the obvious candidate. I do feel like the DA was kind of a dick. So just anybody with a D and two initials, I guess would be the one, but uh, the DA to me, I just lying and being like, Oh, like I'm very sympathetic and then pressing charges and whatever. And uh, you know, Leon was told by his lawyer to be coming, but I do feel like the DA, uh, even with DH stealing pills from a child would be the asshole of the episode. Yeah. I mean, it has to be DH, but I will give my honorable mention to Will Banks who was just like really ratcheted up the like, awful old guy trope this episode i mean really caring about nothing but his pockets cool bro moment of the episode i'll give that to coach for uh well a for getting his prostate checked out that's an important part too all all you bros should be getting your prostate checked i would be so good at doing psas for things <laughs> like so trying to be relatable to the kids all you cool bros out there need to be cool about prostate awareness but that's one and i would say the other one would be coach lying for uh for Leon and being like, yeah, you never touched me, never did anything aggressive. Like he per certainly had reason to throw him under the bus, but he's been team Leon recently in a way that I, I appreciate. I mean, nothing says uh cool bro moment more than cuck boy getting spark notes for McConnell to help him hook up with the owner's daughter. I mean, an ultimate cool bro moment. It was unwittingly helping him though, but still, I guess it does count. <laughs> teammate bonding of the episode, uh, punching the gay guy for your teammate. Gerwitz wins this one. 
Yeah, that was a lot of teamwork there, bonding in the club going on. Uh, Let's see here. What else would be a good one here? I I don't know what I can think of uh, for this. Maybe... Maybe some, yeah, some of the guys standing up for uh, Leon with the story, you know, really kind of uh, putting domestic violence aside to protect your buddy. I think that's a, a good teammate of the month. And maybe them too all, t- uh, you know, harping over the owner's daughter and McConnell saying he's going to bang her. That feels, uh, McConnell always involved in these 80s sex comedy style situations, but that did quality teammate bonding there too, even if it's not the best outcome. Best actor award, uh, kid in the hospital, really really put it across here, came out across like an adult, uh, felt betrayed by DH. I feel like really ran the gamut of emotion. So that kid, uh, that kid probably didn't go places, but he's going places. Yeah, it was good. That the, the line delivery on, I think you should leave. Uh, I, I mean, that, that hit me because it was, there was ambiguity when he said, asked him, did he take his pills, whether he was actually asking in earnest and then when you deliver that line and you knew that he knew all along, uh, that was powerful. That kid actually is probably like around our age now. And I wonder <laughs> wonder what he's up to right now. And I hope he watches the show and he hears like, oh, these guys really thought I did a good job. And I and I genuinely think he presented the case really well, played the part well. And I hope and I hope he wasn't actually terminally ill, I guess. <laughs> the other thing I would say, worst actor award. Um, I don't I don't know what comes to mind for this one. Uh, did somebody speak for you here at the worst actor? Uh, worst actor. I actually thought like why we're in there. Betty was kind of, she seemed kind of lost in all of her scenes there. Um, I guess the doctor for the coach, you know, calling him a schmuck or whatever that, that seemed a little, little off. Um, the boyfriend, yeah, maybe have- I feel like the boyfriend is believable as like a, a crazy kind of loose cannon ex-boyfriend. Yeah, I could see yeah. that. Yeah, I feel like he there was a hint of like him being like a Melrose uh, place kind of dramatic actor. So I'll give him the award, even though I feel like it was still believable scene that wouldn't be on TV today. I think punching the gay guy and dropping the F-bombs, I feel like probably still wouldn't go on, even if they were trying to do a homophobic storyline. Yeah, Uh, sorry, I got distracted because I was trying to see if I could find out the actor's name for Hmm. that boy. Did did he have a character's name in the show? Uh, It's probably like Cancer Kid based on how they were doing (laughs) the other shit around this time frame. Um, Yeah, let's uh, let's let's see. I am. Let's go to IMDb. We can do it together. I was trying to. That's where I am on IMDb right now. Uh, and I'm trying to find, I assume he's only in one episode, right? Yeah. I don't, I would assume he's not a recurring character, but with this show, I guess who, whoever really knows. Yeah. This might be hard to find. Um, but this, this is riveting, but now I'm very curious. Uh, I am too. And that's all right. I'm on the episode itself, which will have the individual episode cast. Oh, they do have the guys here who are in the episode because they have Jay Mariotti getting credited. Uh, Woody page. I see. It, is it no so there's phil uh there's coach rudman uh robin robin looking sexy in her imdb photo okay karen leblanc all right karen leblanc um <laughs> mcconnell oh also the lineman is buffalo is apparently his name not not big sexy he's buffalo okay i mean that works yeah i guess this kid yeah, the other kid didn't get a credit that's bullshit that is could it be michael holly no that's the uh one of the guys on the around the horn panel oh you're right you're right you're right um, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll have to do this homework and come back next week and figure it out. This, this child might've been lost to the annals of time. Unfortunately, um, playmaker of the episode, uh, who would that be here? Cause I guess you have a lot of options and 
I, I think it has to be Ger Gerwitz has been winning this award a lot for me, but I think it's Gerwitz because he's covering up gay love affairs. He's punching out gay guys. He's uh, falling in love with women. He's an important part of the offense. I feel like Gerwitz really a star turn here down the home stretch of the season. Yeah. Although I, I mean, DH swiping uh, pain meds from a kid on his deathbed has to be up there. I mean, just the ultimate playmaker move. That is a classic playmaker move. So there we are. That is episode seven. Next week, we will hit episode eight, which I am sure will be a rollicking journey into, into court cases about domestic violence. Pete, what do you have going on here? I know you're moving chess shows around and, um, and things are always popping off on the Peter Overzet YouTube channel. Um, yes, I, I think I'm going to do a chess stream on Sunday. Uh, I couldn't do uh, this afternoon. Uh, yeah, no other streams, though, until... Sunday, and then it's just uh, the usual. We'll be back on Monday morning for a best ball draft at 10 a.m. And then I got my last Osmo show tonight for MLB. So if you're playing MLB DFS, come hang out there. But otherwise, follow me at Chris Spags, follow at Peter Overzet, and follow at Splash Play Pod, where we will follow you back. You can also see the news about when we're doing shows and all that. But we are following people back on there because that's the kind of love we want to show for you guys and, and send it back for all the love you guys give us. So we appreciate you guys for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your weeks and weekends. We'll see you guys again soon. 